Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's Way Lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. Hey, thanks for coming down and talking to me today. Yeah, thanks we're, for having us. Yeah, we're happy to be here. It's great. <laughs> so, um, so Quince and Apple. So I met you guys. I think it was, wasn't it when I had the radio show with Joan Gilman? I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I interviewed. I, I think it was just you. I think you were having a baby or oh, something. That yeah. Would do it. yeah. That would be. It was, I was like going to say I have no memory of that. Yeah. Why? It's because you were having a baby. Yeah. 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 So it's been it's been a while. So why don't we start by having you guys introduce yourselves? Yeah, so uh, I'm Matt Stoner-Faisenfeld, one of the co-founders at Quince and Apple. Uh, I do all of the sort of product development and then sales and marketing stuff for for our business. And I'm Claire (laughs) Stoner-Faisenfeld. Matt and I have been married for 10 years, and we started this business about nine years ago. And our roles have evolved over the years. (laughs) I've been more on the operations and finance side, and now I'm generally in charge of everything. (laughs) But we (laughs) haven't figured out my title. (laughs) There you go. uh, But yeah, I'm kind of the execution person. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so so you guys started this business a year after you were married. So this was like your first baby, right? <laughs> yeah, right. we didn't have kids until we were, you know, had been married for probably five or six years. But it certainly felt like we did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, this may be harder. Yeah, in a way. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we started it just a year after we got married, and um, we. I had actually been working for another local company here, Potter's Crackers, uh, and I was one of the first few employees there working with Nancy Potter. And I managed all of the sales and then also the kitchen. So I was the kitchen manager and the sales manager and helped them kind of grow. I was helped them get their first accounts out of state and, uh, and start their process of growing. And then, uh, but I had always made preserves as a sort of a hobby and was doing, still doing it on the side while working there. And, um, and just, were you, did you have a background in a culinary background? I did. Yeah. So I, I like I said, made preserves since I was a kid, but right. after college, I actually went to the university of Wisconsin, mm-hmm. um, and then went to culinary school after that at oh, Madison right. area technical college here, worked in restaurants for a while. And then, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and then we just started doing this sort of late at night. We actually subletted the Cracker Kitchen from mm. Potter's uh, and did that for about, what, nine months or so, maybe a year, making preserves late at night uh, <laughs> in their kitchen. Midnight preserves. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's how you came up with these incredible flavors, right? Because yeah, it was at three little. in the morning. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and this is why, I, I, you know, it reminded me of having kids because we were always up all night. Oh, like, perfect. <laughs> yeah. So, so true. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so that was kind of, that's sort of how we got up and running. And, right. Um, we still were both working our day jobs for probably the first year. Sure. Um, so preserves, um, that would not, is not, you know, the first place I would go for somebody to build a, a national company the way you have. So um, you don't make average preserves. Yeah, that's true. Well, Matt can probably speak to it more because his uh, genius or whatever, that's maybe not the right word for it. <laughs> what I think he brings to the business that's really special is um, 
that uh, he can create a flavor idea. So mm-hmm. we'll kind of come up with flavor ideas together, but then Matt knows how to get it to the the point where it, it is what we're trying to do. So that it actually tastes like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, so what we were inspired by is the all the cheeses in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were trying to create something that you could pair with a savory product like a fine cheese or a charcuterie. And... Um, and so we had like an inspiration point that was something unique and was mm-hmm. rooted in our sense of our local place. And mm-hmm. um, so I think having that vision was gave us a niche that was our own. And uh, you can speak a little bit more about the flavors and stuff. But. Yeah. I, I, from the outset, I think we identified that um, not only, I mean, for me personally, I don't really like super sweet stuff. I mean, I love preserves. I love condiments. Um, so we wanted to make something that wasn't just sort of sugary. Um, and so by, by nature, that means that it can pair really well with savory things like cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we also identified that there was, that that was sort of the market niche that we, um, that there was actually a viable business there. I mean, if you're going to like quit your job and stay up in the middle of the night making <laughs> preserves and selling them, probably a good idea to make sure that someone will buy them. <laughs> uh, so, probably. <laughs> you know, it's just something that we thought about. So, um, so we, you know, we felt like there wasn't, like cheese at that time when we started nine years ago was was big, obviously. It's always mm-hmm. been big. But specialty cheese in that time had, was, has really exploded. Right. Um, and I think we felt like we sort of saw that coming um, or at least guessed, made a good guess that it was. Um, and we felt like there wasn't good sort of condiments to go with it at that mm-hmm. time, to go with this nice specialty artisan cheese. So... Um, So it was a combination of, I mean, that's sort of what I've always loved to do is make preserves. But then the specific type of thing that we do is, obviously it's a passion, but we also felt like there was a business case for it. Sure, sure. So um, tell our listeners about some of your flavors. Um, So so our most popular preserve is figs and black tea. So it's, uh, we actually start with dried figs and then make a big pot of tea and rehydrate the figs. Mm. So you get this nice kind of uh, like chocolatey, earthy kind of coffee notes out of the figs instead mm. of just being real sweet. Um, and that is just wonderful. I mean, it pairs with, with pretty much any cheese under the sun. And mm. it's also really good on ice cream and uh, just pretty much everything. Now I'm getting hungry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, we actually have a lot of preserves with tea in them. So we mm. have a tart cherry and white tea. I'm a big tea drinker personally. Um, so tart cherry and white tea has won uh, a couple of awards, which is really great. And it's made with Altdoor County, uh, Wisconsin tart cherries. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of, it's light and floral. It's like, it's a jelly sort of made with white tea, green tea, and jasmine flowers. And then mm. it's actually whole pitted cherries floating in the jelly. Wow. So, you know, so we do, uh, like you say, non-traditional preserves but but it's important for us that the preserves while they're interesting and they're unique they're also still really approachable and they make sense you know they're not interesting for the sake of being interesting right Um, because you could chemically engineer things that would be interesting to some people but yeah yeah, exactly right right we don't want to be the like you know, the jelly belly or they have like, the weird, you know, right, all these like right, <laughs> right, sort right. of it's natural flavor. Yeah. There's, there's a place for that, but it's, that's not our thing. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, we try and do things that are real, kind of subtle, well-balanced, and then really not too sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And people eat these paired with cheese and charcuterie for the most part? 
for the yeah. most part. That that's yeah. our focus. Yeah, yeah, the idea is to put it on a cheese board. So right. um, you have a beautiful array of Wisconsin and other cheeses, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're a little partisan, I guess. <laughs> and you know, nuts, honey, um, all sorts of stuff, and then you put the preserves on there to pair with it. And then we also make, in addition to preserves, we've been focusing on that, but we make cocktail syrups, which mm. are simple syrups, and um, they're made to pair also with uh, fine spirits. So at the same time, when we started the business in 2009, uh, we were focused on cheese, and then the craft spirits movement started to become a thing. And so we thought, oh, well, it would be awesome to make something that a person could pair at home, like a home bartender, uh, to make an instant craft cocktail. Um, And so again, they're not too sweet and they're made to enhance and complement something that's already an artisan product. Um, So, you know, we have a tart cherry grenadine that's made with Door County tart cherries. Mm. And you just stir that in with a little gin or maybe vodka or whiskey to make a Manhattan. And it's like an instant craft cocktail at your house. So so all of our products are their condiments, their pairings to Mm -hmm. enhance other fine products. <laughs> so this is reminding me of fromagination. Yeah. Um, and what does he call them? Perfect partners? Perfect... Perfect pairings, Perfect. Maybe? It's not... Yeah, <laughs> I'll think of what it is. Perfect companions. Yes, there you go. That's word for it. <laughs> yes. yeah. So what is cool about fromagination is uh, nine years ago when you were launching was when I was launching Tara's Way. Mm-hmm. And one of the places that took me right away was Fromagination, which, for the benefit of our listeners, is a very high-end cheese um, store in Madison that's right on the Capitol Square. Um, When Ken was writing the business plan for that, he came to me and said, what do you think about this? And I, like a lot of people, said, you're absolutely crazy because nobody lives here (laughs) and nobody's going to pay $40. Nobody in the Midwest is going to pay $40 dollars for a pound of cheese. And the place was successful. I mean, Ken is just one of these people who knows things before the rest of us do, right? Yeah. So he took your products in at the same time he took Tara's way in because I'm a companion in a way to, mm-hmm. in a, no pun intended, <laughs> in a way with cheese. And I had these beautiful cans, right? So he would put them up the, on the shelves. And then right next to it were these little jam jars. <laughs> and, he, and he showed me, you had the, the, so they're beautiful little jars. And then he, you had these beautiful little shelf talkers that went along with the beautiful little jar that was like telling the story and mm-hmm. saying how to use it and stuff. So he he gave those to me and said, oh, you need awesome. to do something like this for Tara's Way. So isn't that funny <laughs> nine years ago? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. And for Imagination, they were our number one first backer, and they are still our single greatest individual store. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, like yeah. they sell more of a product than anybody else. And it's because Ken really invest in his local producers. I mean, we owe him a lot, and he's been just such an awesome partner for us. Yeah, and, you know, when he caters and does his cheese boards with, with, you know, dried fruit and nuts, he always has your stuff with it. I know, he's really been a huge support. Yeah, that is so cool. Yeah. So did, was he part of, um, and it sounds like you had the idea before going to somebody like Ken that you were going to make preserves that were pairable with cheese. Yeah. Um. But I would guess that he helps you with this because he's so um, visionary about stuff. Yeah, absolutely. He um, there was a, a couple of people who, before we got started, before I mean, before we really launched the products, were 
took some samples of test batches and things that we were kind of working on and thinking about doing label design, um, that we took those things to them and said, what do you think of this? And they gave suggestions and edits. And Ken was really instrumental in that. Yeah. Um, so he, I mean, really, it, he, he took our first invoice. He probably took, you know, our third invoice and our fifth invoice. You <laughs> right, know? right. <laughs> so, right. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, they're, they're still the, they're the only account in the country that gets a delivery. No, <laughs> <Vermont> gets <laughs> a personal <laughs> yeah, delivery, exactly, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they're, he, they're just, he's been amazing. And, but it, but, yeah, before we started, he was really helpful uh, in that regard as well. So, um, you know, it gave us a little bit of confidence. I mean, we call it, I guess that's sort of market research. It was pretty informal. But, um, you know, we talked about price point. We talked about packaging. We talked about all those things. Right, because I kind of like the nobody will buy $40 cheese in the Midwest 10 years ago, right, that comment. Right. I'm sure you got the same comment about your oh, yeah. jars and the price of your j- preserves, right? Absolutely. So, you know, at our, the time. Yeah, our six ounce jar typically retails at like $9.99. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, yeah, but we, there were definitely a lot of people were like, that's crazy. Why would you, you know? We don't even for, know about preserves and cheese and yeah. now you're going to charge yeah. me yeah. 10 bucks after I just spent $40 on the cheese. Right. But, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Well, we also have another really great account called Pastoral in Chicago, which mm-hmm. is kind of like the Fromage Nation of Chicago and they're these really awesome guys who own it. And uh, th- when we started and we were trying to figure out our pricing, they were one of the first to put the jar at that price and mm-hmm. we were like, is that going to move? And it moved really well and and, the, you know, the Chicago market is probably a little spendier than right, Madison. Right, uh, But that gave us some confidence. You know, they, mm-hmm. they've helped us a lot. Also, you know, they're another one of our really important mm-hmm. partners, and they've helped us a lot with, uh, you know, uh, giving us feedback on pricing and packaging. Mm-hmm. Uh, they We recently uh, redid our label, and mm-hmm. they gave us a lot of good feedback on that. Um, Ken did, too. Um, so, so our industry partners are important. There's a <laughs> take-home for you. Yeah. But, um, yeah, they, they were one of the first people who helped us figure out like where we could price it and how we could position it um, and helped us kind of like get from A to Z on that right, whole process. Right, right, you know, I remember this, this is probably in the first year when we were still working out of the potter's kitchen. So, you know, working our day jobs, we'd start at like 5 p.m. and then working usually until like 2 or 3 in the morning, making preserves and take up to our house, which was our <laughs> warehouse and like labor. I mean, it was just, yeah, we were like working like every waking minute. And I was doing a demo at a store that will remain unnamed. Uh, and <laughs> this woman came up to me and she would, you know, she tasted this, the product and she's like, oh, it's really good. She was like, how much is it? And I was like, oh, it's $9.99. She was like, what? How could you possibly charge, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. And I, I think I like had not had enough sleep. And I was like, because <laughs> I chopped all the oranges and I, you know, and I started, <laughs> <laughs> I went on this little so I rant and she was, of course, did not buy any. But <laughs> it, it sort of, it helped me. I was like, okay, well, we need to figure out a way to like tell that story mm-hmm. in a way that isn't sort of rude to the customer like <laughs> right. it was at that particular moment. But um, so that's one of the things we've really focused on is like, it's not nine ninety nine because we're raking in a bunch of money and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's because there's a lot of hard work that goes into it. Absolutely. And, um, and the world has changed since 10 years ago, totally. right? That you're not the only one who's charging that kind of money exactly. for artisanal foods and there's more recognition of artisanal food than there used to be in all of those things. Right. So, yeah. but the, the, that also though reminds me, um, um, 
with Tara's Way when I was was doing the market research we were formulating, and I went to um, a big bodybuilder show mm-hmm. and said, "Hey, I'm going to have this really cleanly formulated organic way, and it's going to be, you know, and how much is it going to be?" And I said, "Well, thirty nine ninety nine for a can at retail." And they looked at me and said, "You know, we take hormones. Why would we care if there are hormones in our are <laughs> in our way? We just want it to be cheap." <laughs> and I, but it's such a great lesson, isn't it, about target marketing? Yeah. Like, you yeah. don't need to, you're not selling this stuff to everybody. You just need your market. Exactly. You have to remember you can't please everybody, and that's not your goal. I remember actually one time talking to my dad, who had been in Whole Foods and he was shopping for something and talking to me about his experience. And he said, Well, I was choosing between two different items for a party, and I didn't know what either of them were. It was like some olives or something. Mm-hmm. So I just picked the most expensive one because I assumed it was the fanciest and the best. And that made me think, okay, that's our target customer and that's who we need to be marketing to. You know, like right. not everybody cares about their food in the same way. Not everybody has the money to, you know, spend that on food. And that's like a certain customer who's out there and is interested in a high-end shopping experience. And um, that's who we're targeting. Right. And that that getting that clarity about that is so difficult a lot of times for yeah. entrepreneurs, right? Because you just feel like you just want to make everybody happy. And yeah. it's hard to have people rag on you. But yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, it's something that we've run into is, you know, when you're starting a business like this, the cash flow is sort of your most important thing. Profitability is important, but really cash, cash is, the is most. king. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, and so we ran in, we've run into this a few times and it still comes up, uh, but where we'll have some sort of a large, um, like a discount retailer come mm-hmm. to us and, and offer to make a re, you know, pretty significant order to us, but at a significant discount and they want to have it in the store that at, you know, whatever, 50% of the price that it is everywhere else. And, um, and it's very, very tempting to say yes to that, Mm -hmm. particularly in early days when you're just sort of like scrambling and scraping to get, to get, you know, orders and customers and things. Um, but we've been, uh, I think fortunate to be able to in a position where we could say no to those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I think that you, you end up sacrificing, you know, that sort of target customer, your brand for, for cash. And, and sometimes you're just, I mean, you have to be able to figure out a way to say no to those things, even though it's really uh, tempting. Right. Yeah. And I think one of the things that drives people to ha- to say yes in food is when their method of production it requires them to in order to grow they have to make a big capital investment to buy bigger more automated or whatever it is equipment right and then you have all that and if it's not full you're you're screwed basically right. f- from a cash flow perspective so you guys talk to us about how you know just that operation side how how did how has that grown over time because you're clearly not in Potter's kitchen in the middle of the night anymore <laughs> that <God>. is true <laughs> yeah. uh, and you know I think early on we realized that we, ca- we couldn't compete on price and we couldn't compete on volume and quantity you have to have like a craft size plant to do that. And that's just never where we were going to be with what we were envisioning for our business. So we had to compete on our unique offering. So we identified that we needed to figure out which parts of our process were 
untouchable and which parts could evolve. And so like what things in the process make it artisan and what mm-hmm. things don't matter if you automate them. And we, we identified those early on and we really stuck to that really, I don't know, strictly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as we've scaled, our process as we scale up is basically adding more artisan production processes, but mm-hmm. we haven't changed our process over time. And that's really core to what we're selling is that when you're getting those jars, even if you're getting them nationally distributed, they're still the same artisan product that you were getting when we started nine years ago. We mm-hmm. haven't like sacrificed that. And the other thing we've never considered is moving to a co-packer. Um, so outsourcing our production to somebody else, because I don't think there's any way they could do what we do at the mm-hmm. same quality level. The way that we manage quality is really intricate and very hands-on. And mm. I just don't think it would be possible in a more automated process. So we try to keep our process really, really strictly under control. And mm-hmm. um, we've, we've figured out a way uh, to continue to increase our artisan process, which means that one person is really making the preserve from beginning to end. Uh, and just do more of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we'll mm-hmm. see. There may be a ceiling to that. We haven't hit it yet, and but we know, like, in our mind, mm-hmm. when we hit that ceiling, we're at that ceiling. We won't change it. That's mm-hmm. who we are. And then if we hit that ceiling, we'll, I don't You'll know, find create a, a new, new line. ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That, so, so you have your own facility now. Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, and you're still make you're making a series of small batches. It sounds like exactly. so. So from a financial point of view, you didn't have to go. One of the advantages of that is you didn't have this giant leap in, in you know big in capital investment that came in a big you know. That's one of the ways you've avoided having to say yes to big orders. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. It, you know, it's it's definitely much more like labor intensive. It's more. Um, uh, it's more difficult in some ways because we had to innovate and make up all of our processes to for scaling. Um, but the upside is that you don't have to have a huge cash infusion to mm-hmm. do all sorts of, um, you know, to buy a bunch of equipment. Sure. We've done, you know, sort of what for us felt like large investments when we, we expanded our facility a couple of years ago and, and um, that was a fair amount of money and bought some additional equipment. Um, but, but yeah, in the grand scheme of things, the amount that we've actually put into um, the actual capital infrastructure mm-hmm. is not super big right. compared to the size of the business. And your so now you know, fast forward nine years, you are now your products are all over the country, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And who sells them? Uh, so we're in uh, we're in a lot of the Whole Foods nationwide. Um, we're in. Uh, so Kroger has a program with Murray's Cheese out of New York where they have these, uh, it's a Murray's Cheese, kind of basically a Murray's Cheese counter. Mm-hmm. Um, in, a, in a Mariano's or? Yeah, so they're in about like, maybe 350-ish, maybe mm-hmm. close to 400 stores mm-hmm. of Kroger affiliates nationwide. So they're in Kroger, they're in King Supers out west, and um you know, a, a lot of their different banners. So Murray's Cheese is kind of like, like fromogenation. But it's in New York City. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. it's they the big boy like, on right. the block, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. there's sort of one of the like original specialty cheese shops in the United States, and started in the '40s and in, in Manhattan. And um, yeah, so they've got this great program that we have been fortunate to be a part of. Um, so that that was really kind of what we had. I would say before we started working with them, we were in a lot of 
we were in stores nationwide, but it was mm-hmm. a lot of independents, regional chains. That was our sort of first big national account. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think probably all told, we're in about a, th- it's hard to say exactly, but about a thousand doors mm-hmm. nationwide. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's grown a lot over the last, even just two years. Um, you know, one of the things about this, the approach that we've taken to growth, which is sort of this slow and steady mm-hmm. um the upside is you don't have to put a bunch of cash in and take on investment. The downside is that it, it can be slow. Um, it's slow. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so you have to be very patient, which mm-hmm. I think we are. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's it's not like uh, it's lower risk, but it certainly is not an overnight sort of mm-hmm. thing. Right. Knowing what I know now, would I go back and do it again? It's hard to say. <laughs> yeah, isn't that interesting? Yeah. yeah. It's like uh, it is a long, slow burn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 But that's but but that's okay in a way. And and you were your company. If you had taken a bunch of investment nine years ago, I'm not sure that the artisan food movement had matured to a place where it would have worked. Right. Right. (laughs) Like you could have put the pedal to the metal. Timing is a lot, right? In this, right? right. Yeah. 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 What I mean, a. I don't know that we would have found anyone to invest in. Yeah, well, there's <laughs> that. Jam but company, assume, but, right, but yeah, an artisan jam could, company, people yeah. will have a hard time now in particular. But, yeah, yeah. yeah, but even if you could have, I don't know that people would have understood the op- right. at nine years ago the yeah. way you were seeing it. Because well, now you're paired. I mean, but pretty much the theme is any anywhere that sells artisan quality cheese is selling jam from you guys essentially that's our goal that's our goal (laughs) it's not a huge market it's a niche that maybe one person can fill and and that's what like i think when we think about the future of our business we think we'll continue to try to find great Mm -hmm. niches you know niches where there's not a product um Mm -hmm. it's not super competitive and we can go in there and fill it uniquely because we have you know the ability to do a consistent quality artisan production process um we're able to do it on a hopefully larger and larger scale mm-hmm. um, and that we can get in there and fill those niches that people are interested in. Uh, but we're not, you got to find like your little special Yeah, your area. little place. Yeah. And, and um, so this whole, this is kind of like, you know, understanding who your customer is. Yeah. It's so easy when you're in a, in a young business to chase whatever business comes, right? Yes. Instead of saying, no, actually, um, dominating a niche is a, is a great way for a small company. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. I, I think we, it's hard to have that discipline, particularly when you first start, um, because you, you're just, there's so much pressure to grow and to bring in money and cash flow is, is, you know, sort of always looming over your head. And so you want to sort of be chasing all the different things. And, and obviously we've done some of that. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, nobody's immune to it, but, um, but I think that on the whole, we've been able to be fairly disciplined about it. And, and I actually think that having two of us kind of co-found and co-run the business is helpful in that regard, because it w- it's rare that both of us sort of get distracted by the same shiny object, <laughs> right? You know, it's sort of like, sometimes it's usually me. Realistically, yeah, or is you, realistically you're yeah, the yeah. shiny object guy. I'm the shiny object. Ooh, what's that? What's that? Yeah. Uh, and then usually Claire's like, no, that's not really what the plan is. But, uh, but occasionally Claire will get distracted. You know, so it's helpful to have, um, and even if you don't have a co-finder or something, um, to have people who are inside, trusted, uh, so that you can be disciplined and focus on your niche. Um, because I think that, I think I, I heard somewhere recently, it's like 
you can't boil the whole ocean, right? You just right. have like one little part, boil that. And then so that's, I think, really critical at the outset is having an idea of what your niche is and why your product fits into that niche. And then just just keep doing that Execute. over and over and over yeah. and over yeah. and over again. Right. Like when we introduced our product, it wasn't something people were really familiar with. So we had to believe that it was something that people needed and would want and that we would go out there and make it and make it great. And they would buy it because it was a great thing. We wanted it. And so they mm-hmm. would want it. And mm-hmm. I think, yeah, you just had to figure out what's missing out there. Right. <laughs> right, right. right. I mean, it's like, you know, a, a place like Fromagination brought us on right away. And, and there, we had a number of accounts very early on that got us up and running but you know the uh, the vast majority of accounts that I spoke to in the early days gave me look you know I was like this is jam but it's not for the you know to go with peanut butter it goes with cheese people would look at me and I was like nuts mm-hmm. uh, and particularly in grocery chains oh sure you know, I go to a grocery course. chain and I get all excited and I'm, this is so good and they'd be like what's the price point and it goes with cheese and I'm right. like why really? are you here what? who are you like, <laughs> you quit your job <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there's tea in it yeah really? like, what is wrong with yeah, you and so you yeah. know now those some of those same people are great accounts but yeah, right, uh, right but you have to that's how much the world has changed. Yeah. 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 Well, and we started like right also, I mean, the food landscape has changed mm-hmm. dramatically, but also we started like right in the, in the, you know, the start of the recession. I, I um, get it. Which was A, rough, but then we also said like, well, if we, <laughs> if we can survive this, then we'll be in good shape. So. Yeah. 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 And look what happened. <laughs> yeah. So do you pair with meat too, with charcuterie too? Yeah. Yeah, you we see people doing that too. Yeah, well, like underground meats is actually yeah, uh, yeah. mustards too. Yeah, and, uh, underground meats is right in our building, oh. so <laughs> we've put their stuff in our. We have some like little holiday gift boxes. Mm-hmm. It's not our main focus, but um, they're kind of just an example of how you compare our stuff. Sure. So you could get a gift box that shows you what you could do with everything. But like for imagination. Pastoral, Larry's Market in Milwaukee, mm-hmm. they all put together these amazing gift boxes, and usually right. they have you know some Wisconsin meats. Um, and, you know, whether it's straight up summer sausage or this more, you know, mm-hmm. sophisticated charcuterie uh, and then mustard, you know, stone ground mm-hmm. mustard or something really nice and like mm-hmm. kind of rough hewn like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then preserves, uh, some really nice local honey mm-hmm. and, uh, of course, crackers, potter's crackers often right, will end up in those right. kinds of boxes. Um which are kind of the cracker equivalent of your product. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's also a company in Milwaukee called Treat that makes these spiced nuts, um, and that's a really yeah, nice yeah, pairing. Yeah, those so, are good. Yeah, kind of an assemblage of stuff like that mm-hmm. is what you'll generally see all together. Yeah. One of the great side benefits of starting this company is that we get to like meet all these other cool artisans who yes. make amazing True. you know it's like I wouldn't know all this food and and of course everybody always like wants to trade stuff too so I'm always like we're shipping people stuff preserve and then they ship us their stuff and it's it's a real good food. yeah right now <laughs> where did that cheese in our fridge come I from I got like 25 pounds of really beautiful Vermont artisan cheese oh my that <laughs> somebody just sent oh me oh my so, see isn't that awesome <laughs> yeah, yeah cool. people come to my house and they like look at my pantry and go oh my God, look yeah. at what's in there because I, I work with lots of food companies. Of course, yeah. give me yeah. samples. Yeah. It's awesome. I yeah. love it. I know people in the industry who have dedicated second cheese fridges <laughs> to accommodate this. So <laughs> we're not there yet. You're but. not there yet. Yeah. Well, there you go. You'll yeah. get there. Yes. So, um, do you think you've you've saturated the cheese store market, or do you think you've got more to go, or is it like the next? I mean. 
Costco could have your product, you know? We are trying to be careful to keep our product in places that are, you know, like have a high-end feel because it's a high-end product. So we want to make sure that the brand comes across that way. Mm-hmm. So there will be a point like where, okay, we're in, in every nice grocery store right. that we can get them to agree to it. You know, right. we're always trying to get new leads. But um, so, yeah, I think in terms of how we will grow, we have ideas for other product lines um, that we're kind of working on, still kind of under wraps. But uh, that, that'll probably be our next direction is okay. introducing some new products and uh, trying to grow those. Uh, we've been really focused on the preserves line as we've gone national. Mm-hmm. So uh, focusing on the syrups and mm-hmm. figuring out where those could grow. We have a few really, really strong syrups accounts. Um, mm-hmm. And that has tended to be more of a food service category, sure. uh, which we don't, uh, it's, we just don't know as well because we got right. started with the preserves first and that's always been kind of our number two mm-hmm. priority. So there's probably a lot of room for growth there. So Do I think th- there's lots of growth opportunities. Yeah, it sounds like it. Do you think you could take your preserves into um, food service? We actually we do a fair amount of food service mm-hmm. with them now. So we make them uh, in a, in a larger, yeah, you know, large format. Yeah. Um, we we don't do very much out of it outside of the Midwest mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. uh, just because, like Claire said, we've been so focused on retail right. and trying and to support that. And it's its own distribution channel. It's right? Its own distribution yeah. channels. It's a, its own totally different customer base, and so mm-hmm. um, you know, I think we're still we're still a relatively small team, sure. and so it, there's a limit to what we can do. Right. Yeah. But no, I mean, I think it's interesting in terms of we're not there yet in terms of figuring out like how how saturated the market is for for the retail preserves. Um, because we don't want, you know, we don't want to necessarily end up on the, like, TJ Maxx or, you know, some, some, mm-hmm. um, in real discount-oriented places. So we need to figure out a way, you know, what kind of is that, um, how far out do we want to push the preserves and, yeah. and before it starts to dilute the brand? So at, at a certain point, we'll diversify the offerings rather than just sort of keep expanding. Yeah, you know? it's such an it's an interesting thing too because when when I started Tara's Way, it was a, a you know cl- clearly formulated for the natural category and whole right. foods and very expensive and all of that and. And now it's going into what I would have considered main. Uh, they are mainstream grocery. And I'm blown away yeah. by the fact that it's there. Yeah. Um, but it, in my case, it's because the consumer has changed, right? Yes. And they want healthier products. Right. And the consumer is also more sophisticated. So you may end up in places you never imagined you'd end up. Yeah, well, we're having I, the exact same experience. Yeah. Where it, Isn't that crazy? Yeah, when we started, there were a couple of grocery stores that we were like, oh, we shouldn't go in there because they don't really like have a high-end vibe and that's you know we we want people to perceive our brand in a certain way and that those grocery stores have completely changed um, yeah the it's stores had these, themselves like, specialty have, food yeah. sections where we fit right in and it looks really great in there and uh like a significant number of grocery stores have oh, yeah. done that um yeah. i think with online well you can maybe speak to it more but the, the, the landscape is really changing where grocery stores are going more high end because you can get you can get your toilet paper online so. right. <laughs> right 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 yeah and I, you know i think had you at but if we had looked nine years ago when we started at, you know, Kroger's, uh, their offerings and specialty cheese, you know, it certainly isn't what it is today. And they're right. one of the industry leaders in doing phenomenal work in, mm-hmm. in their partnership with Murray's and, and a great account of ours. But um, so I think, you know, it, it's always hard to predict. And, uh, and the grocery industry, I think, is going to change pretty dramatically over the next five to ten years. I think with Amazon acquiring Whole Foods, that's obviously going to change things pretty significantly. So, um, you know, it's always hard to tell exactly 
what <laughs> what yeah. things are. I, I have no idea what yeah. it's going to be like in five so years. So are you in distribution or do you sell direct? Uh, primarily in distribution. Mm-hmm. Um, we and we still have a, a significant chunk of our accounts mm-hmm. are, are direct. Um, and particularly small independent mm-hmm. stores sure. tend to buy direct. But... Um, but yeah, we end, uh, we have a number of regional distributors here in the Midwest and the Northeast and uh, out west now, um, and then and then a few bigger. They're not quite national distributors, but uh, a few bigger distributors right. as well. So when you started, did you think you were going to sell everything direct? We no, we actually fortunately priced our product knowing that we were going to sell into distribution. <laughs> Which is like a real yeah, win. It is a real win. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. Um, Congratulations. Yeah. It, that and was your sales experience, that was, right? It was. It was my sales experience working. Uh, the Potter's Buyers, yeah. yeah. And I, I also knew that um, we, so we never worked farmers. We never did farmers markets when we first started, um, partly because we were just not. Morning people, <laughs> but uh, no, because you made preserves at three. <laughs> we made preserves yeah, at three the, in the other side over the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, I know a lot of companies who start that way at farmers markets, and they're used to getting not just wholesale prices but retail pricing, and they right. build their their overhead, they build their cost structure around that, and then it's so hard to transition to wholesale, let alone to distribution. I think I would say that's fortunately one of the things that we did right mm-hmm. at the outset is we planned for. Uh, sort of falling margins as we grew. (laughs) (laughs) But honestly, you know, keeping production in-house has actually allowed us to manage that in a way that our margins have not, you know, they're less than they would be, obviously, if we're selling direct to everybody. But um, I think that actually in the long run, building our own production capacity Mm -hmm. has helped us to maintain decent margins. Yeah, I, I tell people a lot these days that I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of interest in the investor world these days and brands that have no infrastructure. So mm-hmm. you're going to use, you know, oh, that that boring, you know, manufacturing that's not, you don't make any money on that. You're going to give that to somebody else and you're going to create this sexy brand. Right. And and the problem with that, in my view, is you're not generating internal margin. You're giving it to another business that needs to make money. And so you end up having to raise more money to scale the brand. Right. Yeah. But the, there are some upsides to co-packing. The reason people do it, I think, is because the difficulty, first of all, since we started, the scrutiny of the FDA has vastly increased. Oh, like when sure. we started, it was like, whatever, uh, we are barely inspecting you. And that was uh, both DATCAP and FDA. And now the it's much more rigorous and there's this new Food Safety Modernization Act. So you have to be really on top of it from a regulatory standpoint, even with a product like ours, which is considered non-hazardous. We're under like a ton of scrutiny. There's a lot of paperwork. Um, we have like a full-time person who basically manages paperwork. Yeah. So it's pretty significant. Um, and uh, there's also the um, challenge of just maintaining your quality. I, it's been the, our biggest challenge. I don't think it's very easy to do it. So I understand like why people mm-hmm. go to co-packers because – uh, you have to be really, really process-oriented. And, it, like, I think it's hard to be both brand-oriented and process-oriented. Yes. Mm-hmm. So 
Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me because I think what we've experienced, like our biggest challenges have all been like managing production. Yeah, so. yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I mean, I ran a way plant that went right. 24-7. Right, yeah. right. And it's, I get, it's a thing. And you, you're, <laughs> that's probably even more like scrutiny than what we do. Because, right, it is because yeah. there's way more opportunity for contamination. Right, right So, course, yeah, yeah. Um, and risk. So, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, no, totally, I get it. It's just <laughs> that the total... The total, you know, margin, I t- there's just so much margin when you make food. It isn't like software, right? And so right. every time you take that possible margin and cut it up into more little pie pieces, right. the less that's left, you know? Yeah, so, makes sense. Yeah, exactly yeah, right. yeah. yeah. And especially if you're in a small niche like you are, it makes yeah. a lot of sense. you got to own all of, as much of that as you can in exactly. order to, yeah. Exactly. The more vertically integrated you can you be, the are better. The better. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And I think, you know, for us, we We've decided that we are, we want to be a niche business. Mm-hmm. That's that's our thing. And so I think that if you, it's harder to do, keep production in-house and scale if you're trying to be, you know, mass market and all of a sudden, you know, be in every store across the country, right. you know, in, in two years. Right. Um, for us, we've been able to be slow and steady and, and mm-hmm. focused on a niche. And that's allowed us to build our capacity slowly over time. But mm-hmm. um but yeah, it's it, it's it's part. It's all sort of part of a, a strategy, and mm-hmm. and I think that that is. Um, but like I said earlier, it, you have to be really patient. It's a slow, right. long, slow, and you have to be extremely detail and process right. oriented. Like Claire was right. saying, like I mean, it, I think if if I were Doing this without Claire, would, could you do it? No, we would we would not be here having this conversation. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. well, like you said, you ha- I'm very sort of brand and marketing oriented and sales oriented. Yeah. Claire is much more process oriented, mm-hmm. and so you have to sort of have both sides. I think it's rare to find that in one person. Mm-hmm. We're lucky that we have it. You know, yeah, couple, between the two of yeah. you, yeah. 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 But yeah. then that increases your risk because all of the, you know, as a couple, all, everything's in the business. We're not yeah, going to diversify at all. Right, so, right. You know, that it probably couldn't work without both of us, but that means like our total exposure is high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. N- there's no portfolio going on yeah. here, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No <laughs> portfolio diversification. Yeah, exactly. I was single, so I didn't yeah. have the other person, right. but I had all the risks. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. I'm always impressed when people can do it by themselves because I think you have to bring in so many points of view. Like, you know, well, you probably put together a good group I had of to advisors. Have a, yeah, yeah, I had a, well, I had a, because I did the raise money path, yeah, right. right? So I had a fiduciary board uh-huh. as well yeah. as a management team because yeah. we were big, right. fast, you know. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. <laughs> you still really believe in yourself. I mean, so that's why yeah. I always admire people who can do it. On their own, because you have to have so much confidence. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, no, you have to just believe that it's possible, you know, Mm -hmm. before everybody else believes. But any entrepreneur has to do that, right? Right. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys have managed to build a business. This is, you know, I think your business is kind of the envy of a lot of people who start food businesses, (laughs) right? Because you've managed to do, build a, a, a lovely, and it's, I'm not going to say local, it's a national business, but, um, but you've managed to do this slowly over time, and you're going to continue to run it slowly over time. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. do you think that part of me thinks, and I wonder what you think about this, part of me thinks that that's going to be really hard to accomplish now. You mean for people who start now? And yeah. I think it's a lot harder yeah. nowadays. I uh, do too. Than it was. I, I think that in part because of the, I think the Food Safety Modernization Act is part of it. <clears throat> 
I understand the impetus for that, but um, if we had had to meet those same requirements, you know, when we first started, that would have been hard. Um, we were doing all the same stuff that we're doing now, but just the paperwork, it was just, and the learning curve mm-hmm. is so much higher. Um, right. I think that's part of it. And then I also think that, um, I actually think that Amazon and the changes at Whole Foods, um, they were, were really a great sort of stepping stone for a lot of small brands like us. You know, when we first started, we sold to one Whole Foods here in Madison. Right. And then we sold to the one in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. And then we sold to a couple in Chicago. And then we slowly grew and, you know, we were adding other accounts. But that was sort of our first exposure to grocery. Um, and then at a per- certain point, we were selling to maybe 20 Whole Foods here in the Midwest. And then we started selling to the regional, just the Midwest region, which was maybe 50 stores. And then we added another region. So this sort of the stepping stone mm-hmm. approach, but they... Um, and I understand why they're doing it. They're, they're centralizing a lot of their purchasing uh, at the global level, so which, which is in Austin, and, um, and trying to eliminate a lot of this regional and local purchasing power. It makes sense. It's efficient from a cost perspective on their end. But I do think that that is sort of a – that's an avenue to growth and expansion that is closed or right. is at least closing. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And, and the other thing that you're lucky in is that there are – high-end specialty cheese shops who are kind of opinion leader shops mm-hmm. around the country, right? Yeah. So other food categories don't, like, have that. That's right. right? Uh, cheese shops in particular, is, you know, that's an, it's an industry that has grown, especially the artisan cheese mm-hmm. has grown tremendously over the last 10 years. Um, and those cheese shops are very much the, the trendsetters for the food industry, not just in cheese, but in, in a lot of other categories. And um, and we've been fortunate enough to build great relationships with a lot of those accounts. And, um, you know, I think one of our strategies is that, you know, we, we want to, one of the things that I, I love having those accounts is because we can continue to develop new and innovative and weird stuff that grocery mm-hmm. stores will sort of turn their nose up to. Right, uh, right. <laughs> like, just like they did our, our preserves Right, in the beginning, ago. yeah. Yeah, and so yeah. I think that that is... Um, but it, we're fortunate because in our industry, mm-hmm. there is this sort of thought leader group mm-hmm. who's doing great stuff, and they sort of lead the, the right. whole rest of the category. Yeah. I think, like, on, okay, so here's me being the optimist. <laughs> There's <laughs> some new opportunities now with, like, Amazon. Like, we mm-hmm. have a friend who runs her entire food business on Amazon. She right. hasn't even gone into the right. retail or wholesale channel. And that's an opportunity that wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um you know, nine years ago. And uh, I think also in terms of the cheese industry, like what we did is we figured out who to, who, who were our people, you know? Right, um, right. It wasn't jam because there aren't like enough of what we're doing to have really like a group. Um, but cheese is an industry that has a lot of like energy and vitality. Mm-hmm. And we, mm-hmm. we said, okay, these are our partners and we can partner with them. They can help us figure out how to do a better job and who to sell to and give us advice. And that has, we've, we've gotten some really amazing mentors uh, by doing that. And so I think if you can find like, who are your people? Mm-hmm. Cause there's always like groups out there that have like a lot of passion and a lot of momentum. Mm-hmm. And so if you can figure out, okay, well, I don't fit into that group like a hundred percent, but I can uh, like become a part of it. Mm-hmm. That's, 
key. So there's probably like lots of opportunities out there. You just have to think creatively about how to how to find that industry with a lot of vitality. And the cheese industry has had its ups and downs over the time we've been in business with some, you know, different like recall issues and, you know, just a lot of scrutiny from the FDA about, you know, raw cheeses and artisan cheese making processes. So, you know, but I think that's brought them closer together and Mm -hmm. made them really passionate. So, yeah, I'm sure that there's those, those types of groups with like a lot of vitality out there mm-hmm. you just have to figure out yeah which so ones you like craft with. breweries are yeah. like brewers are like that exactly. they get a lot of publicity compared to the cheese people uh-huh. but my experience is that like yours the artisanal cheese community is quite a community yeah. nationally right they're yeah. every they all know each other yes and yeah, much, yeah, so. yeah, <laughs> yeah 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 well and it's great too i mean we've been for, I always say that we feel like we've been adopted by the cheese industry because mm-hmm. yeah. right. we don't really make cheese. Uh, but um, <laughs> yeah, but you make their cheese taste really great. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. hopefully I'll build each other up. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. But we do feel lucky that they we adopted do, us. Yeah. At first, we were like, "Can we be a part of this?" No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, it's it's great for because re- what it's, the idea for our product is that for a retailer mm-hmm. is that cheese is what's going to get people through the door. Right, that's going to bring you had an amazing cheese case. That's going to bring people to your store. Well, and then you use products like ours to increase the basket mm-hmm. size for for that cheese customer. Um, and so it really is a win win. You know, a, a retail if there's a great accompaniments in their cheese counter, um, they're more likely to see the economic benefit and then mm-hmm. build more cheese cases. Right. And so right. then, you know, it really is kind of a win-win. So what I them. love about listening to that was you are not selling a product when you sell the way you just sold. You're selling an economic a value proposition, yeah. right, for the store. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that is an incredible shift for a lot of entrepreneurs to go through, right? We love our products, so yeah. we're always selling our products. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I think, you know, when you're talking to, you know, when I'm talking to Canada from Imagination or you mm-hmm. know small specialty shops, what you're focusing on is is the product, mm-hmm. right? Is you're talking about the, um, you know the the flavor and artisanship, and but you're talking to larger accounts and larger chains, they're much more focused on the economics, right? Mm-hmm. Why does it make sense for me to build 500 cheese, ca- you know, specialty cheese cases across my my company? Well, and this is why. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to be able to sort of talk in that language. Mm-hmm. You have to sort of be able to pass both tests, right? It has to be a great product with great branding and great quality, but it also has to increase the amount of money that they're going to be able mm-hmm. to make in their store. Mm-hmm. Um, that's also true for specialty yeah. shops mm-hmm. as well. But they need to be able to tell a story because that's what their customers are going to really right. resonate with. And that's what they are passionate about. So you right. need to click with them. And for us, our specialty shops um, and our grocery accounts are both really important. I don't think we could be in business without one or the mm-hmm. other. Yes. So it's important for us to manage and nurture both relationships. Right. Absolutely. So so we've been um, talking about the preserves. Let's talk a little bit about the syrup. So is that new? Relatively speaking, or it's newer. Newer. Um, uh, it's been. It, we've had them out for a few years. Okay. Um, but it, it has. They're kind of hidden because it's a food service thing. For the yeah, most mostly part. they're a food service thing. Mm-hmm. We do some retail on it, but it's not the majority of the mm-hmm. product. Um, and and re- and then the other thing is that really the preserves have just sort of exploded in the last two years, and so that's really been the majority right. of our focus. Um, well, if you're starting to go into 
into like Mariano's and things that would yeah. be like, oh my God, yeah. like drinking out of the fire hydrant kind of it thing. Kind right. of, it has felt that way, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right I when bet. we started to get some momentum in the syrups, the preserves, we started to get these opportunities to right. kind of get to where we were originally hoping to go. And so we said, okay, well, that's our number. We tried to be strategic and mm-hmm. focused. So mm-hmm. we still, um, we have some really good syrups customers and uh, we sell them, you know, some mm-hmm. of our specialty shops also have them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of like the next project. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I feel like we're starting, we're getting to a point with the growth of the preserves where where it's a little bit less of drinking out of the fire hydrant. It's right. Like drinking out of the fire hose. No, that's uh, right. Which is manageable. Right, so totally We're going to get it down totally to the manageable. garden hose, then we're really <laughs> yeah. doing good. good. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so all along, have you been self-funding fun- this whole thing for nine years? Pretty much, essentially. Yeah. If you don't count bank loans, um, yeah. no, uh, no, the bank loans are good. Okay, it's like the only way you could do <laughs> yeah, this, right, I would right. think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, basically, we and my parents own the business as a partnership. Okay. Um, and we've all invested, and uh, and then what we do is, you know, we've gotten some bank loans for some equipment mm-hmm. that we needed. Sure. Um, and then like a line of credit that yeah. kind of helps us through the seasonality of the business because yeah. it's yeah. like very seasonal. Um, so yeah, so we we have gotten some. Bank Good. Loans. Yeah. 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 But no big outside investments. That's right. the thing that we haven't ever gone in that direction because we actually kind of started talking about that mm-hmm. this year. And, you know, we realized we don't want to sell the business in five years. We like running our business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So it yeah. basically the, you know, you can get a lot of money, but it means like giving up control and eventually selling. And we kind of think of this more as a career. I don't think we think of this as the the fundamental reason we're doing this is not to make money, right. even though that's a goal. It, mm-hmm. But that's not what we, – we weren't like, oh, this is an investment opportunity. We were like, we want this to be our job. Mm-hmm. So that made us realize that that wasn't the right road to go down to get like right. a huge uh, capital infusion. Right, right. That's and you've managed reason. to create a profitable, sustainable business the way you were without the out, outside funding other than bank financing. So. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. I mean, that in for a lot of people that is like the ideal company, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I and and it is and and I but I think, you know, like we've been talking about it, it is about that there's a lot of lean years. Uh, yeah, so how long did that. it take you to get to break even? A long time. A long time. <laughs> many, many, yeah. many years. years. We're still not even like to the point where we say, oh, no worries, you know. It's, right. It's a long, slow yeah. process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 and you kind of go in and out. I mean, yeah. so right. the, the problem the problem with taking on these bigger accounts all at once is, um, yeah. yeah, is the cash flow problems. And you go into a new distributor, then you have more cash flow problems, right? Yeah. 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 Well, and the other thing that's, as we've moved into distribution, um, which has been great in a lot of ways because it opens up so many new avenues and opportunities for us. But one of the things that we've struggled with is since we're doing our own production, we're building our own inventory, um, you're another step removed from your customer. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard, it becomes very difficult to predict how much to make. You know, I can call up, you know, the owner of, uh, you know, whatever cheese shop and say, well, how much do you have on your shelf? And they're like, well, this is how many I have on my mm-hmm. shelf. I can't call up like, Mrs. Kroger and say like, right, right. how much you got on the shelf? Like, what do you need for order? Right. You know, that doesn't right. work. Yeah, Mrs. Kroger isn't yeah. answering the phone. No, she's not available right now. Right. So, uh, yeah. So it, that is, uh, it's you know, it's these challenges that come up. And mm-hmm. as we moved into 
to these sort of new channels, there's a lot of new opportunity, obviously, for growth. Um, but it is, it, there's always But you don't know. Like, there. what is the velocity going to be when no you go idea. into... You're always you know, making a big guess. A like, big guess. You know, yeah. Every year, you're yeah, like, totally. how much staffing should I have? How much inventory should I have? And then y- you see what orders come through, but you can't really totally control it. Um, and you don't have, like, a lot of visibility. So some years you hit, some years you mess. You know, that's the challenge. I think we'll get to the point where we're, like smoother sailing but it's definitely like it's almost like being a startup again now we're like okay now we're transitioning just yeah, when we kind of got to the it? point where we're more yeah. stable now we're transitioning to national grocery so that makes yeah. them rocky again well, and when it when you're small you know if you overproduce inventory by 30, four cases yeah not yeah, a big deal right, right, right like right. Uh, whatever like we'll just sell it to my mom or something right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like literally literally, <laughs> literally. Uh, but uh in but now if you pr- overproduce you know a thousand cases or four thousand cases because you just you know assume that stores would sell two jars a week instead of one jar. Mm-hmm. You know, it just like uh, it's just you have to be. It, it's hard. It, it's it it's is. a whole new thing to learn. And yeah, um, but yeah. yeah, and I and and it sounds like you've got a lender who is is um, kind of a good lender partner for you. Yeah, yeah. Because that's really important to go through what you're going through, right? It's been a process to to find that. But yeah, Yeah. I I mean, like, uh, I think that having a really solid collaborative banking relationship Mm -hmm. is essential if you're going to start, you know, your own business. And um, and also keep it financed primarily mm-hmm. in house. Like you, and I mean, I'm sure this is true with bringing on investment too. Like you need to bring on partners who understand your business, who understand manufacturing. If you're mm-hmm. going to do production in house, inventory swings, you know, and and how hard it is to predict that kind of stuff. Like right. you that you don't want to bring on somebody who is looking for you know someone to build just a quick, cool, sexy brand, and then you know, whatever. You, you want somebody who's on the same page mm-hmm. as you, for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, and alternatively, with a bank, um, not a lot of banks, they love older, mature companies because you're in this flywheel thing, and you right. know that, yeah, they, you know, this skew, I'll need this much, and that skew, but you're, yeah. you're not in that place no. yet, right? <laughs> so you're kind of this funny combination of a, of a more mature company, but not in some of your channels, yes. but, but a young one and others exactly exactly yeah yeah Yeah. and that's it that's a it puts us in sort of a we're a weird company in that way because you're right it for our specialty accounts for our you know direct accounts that we work with we've been working with them for eight nine years Mm -hmm. and it's pretty predictable predictable. we've got a system we've got routines Mm -hmm. in this new channel it's like it literally feels like we're just, you know, like, oh. just took off the training wheels. We're like, <laughs> what is happening? I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you, you do really need to have that established relationship with a banker or whoever mm-hmm. so that they understand that you're going through those growing pains. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So do you think you're going to stay in the same place, same um, facility, or are you, out, are you outgrowing it? Uh, no, we, we we built it to grow. So oh, good. Uh, we we hopefully will be there for another you know, five or six years. Um, mm-hmm. Right now we're over on the east side, mm-hmm. which is really developing. So Yeah, um, it's crazy over yeah. there now. <laughs> I know. And we're kind of right in the middle of all those, all these big mm. developments. And so we'll see, you know, about rents and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, hopefully we, ha- we have made an investment in our facility and we mm-hmm. can stay there for a while. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it is amazing. That side of Madison is suddenly we've got big condos yeah. out there. And it used to be just like where you were was kind of one among many yeah. 
empty warehouses. And, Absolutely. And now it's like, oh my God. Yeah. 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 It was yeah. kind of like uh, almost derelict, like, you know, broken windows. Right, exactly. Like, you know, and then our building was in there. Um, but there wasn't a lot of activity in the neighborhood, a lot of utility plants. It's mm-hmm. right by, like, the big coal power plant. Right, right. <laughs> um, and, yeah, great it's getting it was all cheap fan. rent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't know where we'll go after that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it all remains. There's, there's all kinds of opportunities for that. Yeah, yeah. I, d- I have clients now who are, who are finding kind of that, you know, that time to re-up on the lease and they can't stay anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. But you don't have to go that far That's outside thing. of Madison. Madison and is not that huge. And no. there's a lot of opportunities, no. yeah, just sort of outside. Yeah. So, Are you ever tempted to leave Madison or do you like it here? We love it here. We love it yeah. here. Yeah. This is such a great town. First of all, it's a great place to live. I mean, right. right. <laughs> everybody who lives here loves it, right? Right. Yeah. Um, but uh, also... Uh, you know, our sense of identity as a business is really mm-hmm. rooted in being here in Wisconsin, and I think it informs who we are. And mm-hmm. uh, so, and we have a really great group of employees that we would not want to lose. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, it, it's interesting. There's also, particularly in the cheese industry, obviously Wisconsin, right? And it's Madison a big industry, yeah. yeah. Well, and then also, if you go out, you know, as I'm traveling the country, meeting with accounts mm-hmm. and stuff, the the brand of Wisconsin, mm-hmm. Wisconsin cheese, being the fact that we're in Madison and Wisconsin is a huge plus. You know, mm-hmm. it, it opens a lot of doors for us that, mm-hmm. um, and that's just, I mean, that's just dumb luck that we're here making jam here, but. Um, but it's partly why I mean, you thought about yeah. cheese, yeah, right? I mean, true. in the yeah. beginning, yeah. Yeah. it's, yeah, I, it's funny. Economic development people call, uh, talk about clusters, you know, so mm-hmm. right. all the related businesses, yeah. right? And, right. And you're gonna go, eh, you know, in bu- in business, but but it's really true. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, the power of having all of those interrelated businesses is is pretty amazing. Yeah, and the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board is located here, and people will come to visit, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to visit them or to go on tours, and so you know the. National buying team from Murray's will just stop by Madison, you know. Right, right. <laughs> right. They're not stopping by, I don't know, Lansing, anywhere Michigan. else. Yeah. Right, right. 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 Yeah. I don't know, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So we can we can see people here because it's a right. kind of a crossroads. Mm-hmm. Plus, I remember the first time we went out to Brooklyn and we were like looking through some of our shops, and then we were in the Manhattan, mm-hmm. you know, Central Market or wherever that whatever that place is called, yeah. and they were like, "You guys are from Wisconsin. That's so cute. <laughs> it's so cute. <laughs> they thought it's it was so like funny. so adorable. We thought we had like." <laughs> Always in our yard or something. It was just like, it we, is, we live in a city. Yeah, but. no, we actually live in a city. Isn't that funny? Yeah, yeah it like, is. They're like 10 minutes away. They, they go, oh, you're so nice. Yeah, you know? exactly. And then I say, well, yeah, but I grew up in New York, so I'm actually yeah, not. I'm actually not. I'm actually yeah. kind of bipolar. <laughs> I'm, nice I'm a confused person, yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. So is there anything else that from your journey, entrepreneurial journey, that you think people... Ought to he, ought to learn or hear because it's such a great your your company is such a wonderful example of what is possible honestly, yeah. and and I also can just say that the um from the time that I first talked to you with Joan to yeah. now the your level of sophistication about what you're doing is 
remarkably different. Oh, that's nice to that's hear. Yeah. <laughs> From a business perspective. Yeah, yeah. yeah you always yeah. make good stuff, right? right? But yeah, yeah right. no, yeah, it's really... You do really, learn a lot. You do, yeah. yeah. If you don't, you don't make <laughs> you it, don't make, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I. you know, it's funny when you ask that question, what first pops into my mind, which you may not even publish, is like, consider carefully whether you want to do something like no, this. Because I think fine. that for us, it's been... You know, it's rewarding. It's awesome to have your own business. Like being successful is a nice feeling. Uh, but internally, you know, you're you don't always feel successful because like there's a lot of challenges, and especially the amount of challenge of having the business like balanced with your family is really hard. And right, you've been having children along the way exactly. at the same time. Yes. Yeah, it's difficult. And like you know, financially, I think like had we just had regular jobs, we'd be much farther along than we are now. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, there's been a big sacrifice. I think like. It's, like, awesome, but it's been a big sacrifice to get here. So it has to be something that you really want. I don't think it's, like, as easy. It was way harder than I thought it was going to be. And, uh, you know, it's been really rewarding, and I love being my own boss. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's the part I like the most, and I like being responsible for what I do. Uh, But it has been, like, a lot of sacrifice to get where we are. So um, A lot of risk, too, right? Yeah, we've taken a lot of risk. There's been, like, a lot of financial risk. Of course. Yeah, I think... um, you know, if, if my friend were like, should I do this? I would say, think carefully about it because, you know, if I had to go back and do it again, I'm happy where we are, but it has been a, like a lot of sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the, the upside is having built something is a great feeling. You it know? is, and isn't I'm it? I'm also optimistic is, yeah. for the future. I think yeah. like we have a, like a lot of possibility and a lot of room to grow and, um, it's, uh, you know, it's cool to have something that you've built. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah. And there's nothing like the the feeling of having had an idea in your head and make it real yeah. at the mm-hmm. scale of a company. Exactly. It's it's a pretty amazing thing. Once you do that once, I swear you'd never want to not do that. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, a great <laughs> it is a great feeling. You know, the only other thing that I would say is that I think that we I meet a lot of people who have great products that they make, you know, or, or want to start a company like us, you know, it's like, I feel like every, every third Uber driver I have or Lyft no, right, driver right, I have right. is like, it's oh, like, you know, I'm going to start a I'm going to start company. a blah, blah company. Like, yeah. Okay, great. Right. Good for you. Uh, but I think that what we've learned, and I've, I see this time and again, because we've seen a lot of other small companies start, you know, and, and, and come and go since mm-hmm. we've started, um, is that having a great product and a great story is necessary, but it's not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what that is is a great starting point mm-hmm. for a business. Um, and having a great product, uh, or even turning a great you know thing that you make into a great product, that's a difficult step. Um, and so, you know, one of the like my great pet peeves is you see these ads. It's like you want to just focus on running your business. Like, don't worry about the money. Like, we'll take care of that for you. All right. And it's like, actually, that's a terrible idea. What that is is a hobby. Uh, like, right. what you should do. So I, I think that you need to, like, people should really focus on the business side of it. That the What's the value proposition? What's the, like, you just get some, even if you have no business background, which I didn't really, like, get a bunch of books, read about business, mm-hmm. teach yourself about accounting, um, uh, learn the finance side. Just because you make a phenomenal pickle doesn't mean that you should or will enjoy running a pickle company. Right. Um, those are very different things. And so I think that, that that's sort of a common misconception in food. I, I always say to like, 
you never hear somebody at a party say like, oh man, I'm like so good at balancing my checkbook. I'm going to start an accounting firm. <laughs> <laughs> no, like that's, clearly that person is crazy. Right. So right. It, if it, they love it that much, they're not telling anybody. Actually, right. they're not at the party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, you know, I think that like, uh, it's sort of similar to what Claire is saying. Like, think about whether or not you want to have a company doing this because that's a different thing than yeah. you know, for me I love making preserves but in my day to day job I don't do that that much yeah. realistically yeah. You know, so. and do you have any any thoughts about um, going into business with your spouse I think you need to really like your spouse <laughs> <laughs> I think like yeah, it would be <laughs> really like good, bad yeah. if you don't like a, and you in work general with it's like, that's a good <laughs> idea but like yeah um, I don't know, you know, you, you really are, like, all in. Like, if you have a bad day at work, you get home and it's the same person. Yeah. Like, there's right. no buffer there, right. you know. So um, you have to be able to sort of – I think the ability to manage stress and conflict as a couple is is essential. It's yeah. really critical. You On the downside, but there's some positives too, but on the downside, uh, all the problems you have in your marriage are going to play out at work. So, Like if you get an argument about sales, it's going to be all the same things you argue about at home. Right. And then you're like sitting in the conference room having that same argument and right. you're like, God, like, oh, I wish I was at work talking to some random person, you know. Right. But no, overall it's really good. And um, I think that what you need is to be complimentary. What yeah. you need is to be mm-hmm. complimentary because – uh, you need if you both have the same skills. If you're both artists, that's not going to work. Or mm-hmm. if you're both business people, that's not going to work. You need an optimist and pessimist, mm-hmm. or you need a creative and a finance person. If you have that, then I think it can totally work because then then it's stronger. You're mm-hmm. like if you're doing it yourself, you'd have to find those qualities in other advisors or people around you. But you, then you have somebody to bounce it off of. I'd say that like, our biggest challenge has been defining our roles because yeah. the business is small and flexible, and it's important for us not to overlap and. We're also sort of have always been these co-CEOs. And then mm-hmm. recently we said maybe we need like one person to be more mm-hmm. in charge because otherwise you're – you don't have one person who's seeing the whole scope. Mm-hmm. But you've got to have a relationship where that is not going to bother anybody. Right. So mm-hmm. it's you yeah. got to have the right personalities, I think. And not every couple is going to have that like set of personalities that works. But if you do, it can be great. And I think – like the downside is that, you know, all the risk of the business, everything, you know, is on the marriage and the relationship and that can be really stressful. Or you go home and you're trying to take care of your kids and you're worried about like not getting a big order or something right, like that. Right. Um, but the the plus side, I mean, it's so fun. I love spending all my time with Matt. And we're oh. like the kind of couple that we like always like to do everything together anyway. Right. Yeah. So we don't have to like part every day to work. We can oh. drive in there together and so I, I actually love that part of it. And that's, that's been like, fun. I would say my number one positive from running the business cool. is being yeah. able to work with Matt. And, and it's actually made having kids easier too, because I mean, like we didn't really take any time off. Right. <laughs> who's going to take, yeah, yeah who's but, got the kids? But we could bring them to the office, Yeah, right. you know, like just put them in the carrier or trade off. And so, you know, there's. They're going to be great salespeople. I know. <laughs> I they already are. They are. Oh, no. They come and sit at, at the, you go to the Wisconsin or the American Cheese Society meetings <laughs> yeah. with your kids. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Oh, they'd yeah. love it. No, yeah, I know. The, yeah. the cheese people would be like, oh, my God. Well, we just did this. <laughs> and I bet they're adorable, too. Oh, yeah. They are yeah. adorable. We just did. So we just rolled out a new label uh, and we're doing this. We added color to our labels and our our oldest son, who's four, Max, 
got like really upset about some of the design decisions that we were making <laughs> oh, about no. the label. Like, because I brought proofs home <laughs> from work, and he was like, "Dad, this color is totally wrong." Like, it's what totally are you? Wrong. He was like crying. Oh and no! <laughs> like, we worked it out, but it was like, yeah, they are very invested in the business. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> that's really so. that's pretty funny. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for for having kids, for like um, women who our entrepreneurs who have kids, the, the thing that I got the most out of it is that when I had the kids, I was able to bring them to work. We just had a babysitter come over to work, and then I was able to nurse them. So for, like, the first six months for both kids, they were there at work, and then I just, like, nursed them. I didn't have to, like, pump and stuff like that, mm-hmm. which is just, like, you know, so a dreary. Pain, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, I did a little bit, but it was not as much as you have to if you have to leave them at home. And um, it was just so nice. I felt like I could bond with them. I I would just bring them in a meeting, and mm-hmm. I had my nursing cover, and I would just, like, nurse the baby. And that, like, having that be able to do that is something that I, you know, I will be grateful for for the rest of my life. So yeah. that was, like, a real plus of having the business is the flexibility to, you know, I didn't have any maternity leave, but I brought the kids with me, so mm-hmm. I didn't feel that, like, separation, you know. Yeah. Um, and that was just, like... Um, something unparalleled that, you know, I wouldn't get somewhere else. And then it made me into this person who was like, everybody should be able to bring their children to work and no mother should be separated from <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> right, right. No, not. not everybody wants that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, for me, that was yeah. like a really meaningful experience. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it's amazing. It's been an amazing journey. Um, just watching you from the outside, I can say it's been oh, an amazing thanks. journey. And <laughs> it's been wonderful to talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks yeah, for thanks coming for having down. us on. Yeah, Absolutely. Right. A great conversation. So, yeah, it's <laughs> been super fun. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org. Thank you.